This is Boom Goddess Radio, igniting inspiration in primetime women. We are Jennifer Davis-Page, B.B. Peters, and Dr. Andrea Gould. Well, hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. We have an especially delicious guest for you this morning, but let us give you a little bit of a perspective on where this is coming from. Probably no matter where you may live on the planet, you may have heard or even visited the very beautiful town of Sedona, Arizona. In addition to its majestic red rock formations and scenery, Sedona has long been regarded as a place both sacred and powerful. It's a cathedral without walls. People travel from all across the globe to experience the mysterious cosmic forces, also known as vortexes, that are said to emanate from the red rocks. So this morning, we're settling down and sitting in with Lisa Schnepley Heidinger, a journalist, radio and TV reporter, community builder, and author of 10 books, including several for children, and most recently a book very close to her heart and her personal history, titled The Journal of Sedona Schnebly. Yes, that very same Sedona after whom this majestic town was named. Lisa is the embodiment of fierce femininity, and best of all, she holds the perspective and creativity to inspire all of us to manifest the best of who we are. Welcome, Lisa. And let's begin with a little her story. Let's get into it as women who are happening now. Uh, first of all, that is the most magnificent introduction and also the highest bar <laughs> that has ever been set for any conversation I've had. Um, so we want to start with what? With the, the how she got here? Um, basically, Sedona Schnebley was born Sedona Arabella Miller in 1877 in a fly speck of a town in called Gorin, Missouri, which is now South Gorin, population 90. And it is a very Methodist town. And when T.C., Theodore Carlton Schnebley, moved there to open Schnebley Hardware with a couple of brothers, he did not realize that it was not going to go well for him because the Schnebley brothers were Presbyterian, predestination Presbyterian. And he began courting Sedona. And the scuttlebutt on the street of Gorin, Missouri, because her sister Lily, you know how there's always the pretty one and the smart one? Lily was the pretty one. Lily was being courted by Loring Johnson, Sedona by T.C. Schnebley. The wags in Gorin said that Philip Miller, the dad, was going to get 100 sons-in-law. Loring Johnson was one. T.C. Schnebley was double zeros. Combine that with the fact that T.C.'s brother, D.E., because that's what they did, apparently, Dorsey Ellsworth Schnebley, who was a rambler and a traveler and a teacher and a wanderer, kept writing, saying, you've got to come see where I am. You have got to come see Oak Creek Canyon. It's amazing. And they concluded they had Ellsworth, Tad, my grandpa, then they had Pearl. So when Tad was three and Pearl was one, they said, you know, let's do it. And T.C. sold his share in the hardware store to his remaining brothers, and he came west three weeks before Sedona brought Tad and Pearl to live and create a life in Oak Creek Canyon. As the first guy to think, I want a post office here, 
he got to name it, and his first suggestion, and I've seen this paper in the archives at Klein Library at NAU, where the postmaster general wrote next to his request of either being Schneebly Station or Oak Creek Crossing, too long, and sent it back. <laughs> the brother said, why not name it after Dona? And here you have the town of Sedona, low these many years later. Wow. Uh, and what year was that? that they that... moved out in 1901, and it was officially a post office in June of 1902. Mm -hmm. So we start as a post office. Not to Go mention... west, young man. Go west. <laughs> Grow up with the land, yeah. Well, what a life those folks must have had back in the 1900s, right? Very, very different from our lives today. Um, what, what do you think, or what do you know, the role of Sedona and women around uh, the area and the state was at that time? That's been interesting to me. As a child, I yearned to be a pioneer. It just ate my lunch that we lived in a ranch house and a track neighborhood and everything had been done. You can't be a cabin boy. You can't, you know, I don't want to go into space. I just wanted to be a pioneer. But I, there were a great many things I didn't consider in the childish yearnings. And one of them, and I think it's ironic that when they came out, they walked away from gas lamps and there were Model Ts back there in short order. There were there were so many civilized things. In Missouri. In Missouri. And to move to a place where at that time five families lived. And if you've been up there, you know how dark at night it gets. So dark. My daughter, who we named Sedona, put a finger on it. She said it's like being on the ocean at night. You don't know where the horizon is. And in Oak Creek, you don't know where the horizon is. So to get there and have no light, no neighbors, nothing, as I said in the book, save Carl and his rifle, versus all the looming, rustling, encroaching nature, including the wild animals who were not doing anything wrong by looking for food, it had to be daunting. It had to be completely overwhelming. And I almost experienced some guilt that every foremother has a story at least as rich as Sedona's. And it's almost like having a get-out-of-jail-free card that because she had a town named after her, people take more interest in hers than others for no other reason. But I think, well, that's all right. It's a platform to share, again, the specific and yet universal story of being one of those few women out West at a time when there were a lot of, not only men, and I feel like I get to say this because I'm part of it, Many, maybe most, people in Arizona came because they did not necessarily play well with others where they were. So the men who came to Arizona were not the first sons or the most successful. They were the ones who weren't doing well where they were. And that's a different crowd than the gentlemen one would encounter back east, um, for good and bad. Hmm. So was it makes room Arizo for innovation. I'm sorry. Was Arizona their destination? So very much so. Tell, tell us how they decided on Arizona versus any other western state. Um, the brothers' letters. You've got to see this place. Okay. So he had been around the west a fair bit and described fish almost jump out of the water. You can just drop a seed and there's a plant there three days later. You can practically see them growing. And as you all know, a continuous source of water in Arizona and many places around the West 
is it matters. And so that was his his entreaties. Um, so Carl, T.C., they are T.C. and Sedona in their correspondence. They called one another Carl and Dona. I will try not to flip back and forth too much. But um, T.C. brought seedlings, which had to be like five or six-year-old trees because you get fruit in the sixth or seventh years. So we heard seedlings growing up, but they must have been substantial. And seed and everything to get almost instant farm when he came because they had the perfect conditions for it. Not to mention the magical geographic lo- location. I remember my first time driving to Sedona and then seeing all this colorful rock off to the left, Route 17, and I'm like, you must be kidding. <laughs> this is like Disneyland. It really was magical. My first drive to Sedona, I was living in New York City and came down for a visit, and it w- I was the designated driver that day. And I had to pull over to the side of the road because the beauty, everybody was in the car was ooing and eyeing, and I had to concentrate on getting us there. But I had to pull over to the side of the road just to take the beauty in. It's so, it's remarkable. For any of our listeners that have never visited Sedona, please put that on a list of things for you to do. And thank God for the web, because they can look at it without getting out of their chairs, can't they? And at least see what some of the fuss is about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, As many people would prefer that there'd be less people (laughs) trampling through Sedona. There was a wonderful columnist here in Tucson named Tom Beale who wrote a piece called They Should Have Named It Schneebly. (laughs) And even I was starting to read thinking, no. But his point was excellent. People love to live in Angel Fire, Cloudcroft, Aspen, Sedona. Nobody'd live in Schneebly. It would be like Zion. It would be <laughs> empty. <laughs> What's fascinating to me, Lisa, is the idea that um, women had to be pioneers as well during that era. We think of women and the challenges that we face now, whether it be uh, political or environmental or managing the children and school and families. Um, The women in the 1900s were facing their own set of challenges. And um, so tell us a little bit about how uh, your grand mother evolved and how in uh, looking at her history and what she did and what she came to be. Can you speak to that a little bit for us? I believe so. She definitely grew up with the place. And I think that I finally found who said this, and it turned out it was Scott F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, it is the mark, and he said, man, of an intelligent person to be able to hold contradictory thoughts simultaneously. And I think that Sedona and the place kind of helped each other grow up. Um, she, on the one hand, it was backbreakingly difficult. And I had a, I have a dear friend, Nathan Shelton, who was my editor. And after the chapter called Pregnancy, he texted, I had no idea how hard women work. And it's different jobs now, but it was unbelievably bone-crushing labor. And just listing what she did in a given day was exhausting. So you're not, you know, there's no there's no coal being delivered for your stove. Somebody's chopping the wood, and if you let the fire go out, you start over. And having the kids and all the additional rugged and dangerous factors that played into everything she did. You know, if the creek has washed out a particular portion of the bank 
over and over and over and over again. I don't know. I don't think it happened in a big way while they were here. But when the snow melt came down, you really keep an eye on those kids because the creek is transformed from a hospital and hospitable environment to a very threatening one. And so all of those things played into her day. Now, on the upside, I think a great many of the constraints of the East world fell away. I know that she wore Carl's overalls when she mm-hmm. worked. Couldn't how, have done that How very, Gorin. you know, stylish, right? This is like fantastic fashion. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of her when she's much older um, in knickers. And I think that she would not have felt that free had she remained in Gorin. I think a lot of mm-hmm. the extreme Victorian repressions visited upon those women, she was able to slough some of them off by being here. And that was the upside to how hard and wild and it was. And I think that that still um, operates in terms of being Easterners, as which we all have been at one time or another, moving west. There is a kind of undercurrent of freedom. You know, there's a place to do things differently. And artists Still. here in Tucson, right, speak to that very often. Uh, writers and performers, uh, we know that it's sort of a conglomeration of these amazingly creative souls, uh, and that's what they speak about, that somehow this environment is the opportunity that is presented to them uh, from a creative uh, way. And I think that is so exciting. And we experience it, and too. And we experiencing Look at us. the three of us. <laughs> right. You know, we came from major metropolises. Yes. Metropoli. Metropoli. <laughs> yes, major, yes, major metropoli. And yet the ability and the encouragement of the environment to be ever more creative and take risks. Very right. cool. Where did your family settle when they arrived in the New World? Where did where did they originally land? Um, the, the the her forebears. Yes. Um, Daniel Henry Schneebly, who I guess was TC's forebearer, came in from Zurich, Switzerland, in seventeen yumpty yump, okay, and built the Garden of Eden Plantation in Maryland, Hagerstown, right. which mm-hmm. we've been to, uh, and then the Millers, Amanda, the mom's side, were Pennsylvania Dutch, mm-hmm. and at some point came from the Northeast Coast down to Missouri. And then Sedona and Carl, of course, came here. But Max Ernst, who was one of the one of the many artists who settled in Sedona, I had not been to Europe until a couple of years ago. And when I went, I really forcibly saw why it is such a Mecca. We were in Belgium, Scotland, England, France, Luxembourg, and there is a geographical sameness to a great many parts of Europe and the East Coast. And having grown up in Arizona, I didn't get it till I went to Michigan. And you drive through these little four-corner stops on one town, the next, the next. And I thought, if you lived here and you said, I have an idea, somebody would say, no, they tried that 100 years ago. It didn't work. And then I got for the first time what Arizona offers people from other places that you can't tell if you just live here. You don't know it. It's just home. But Yes to what you all just said about that. There's, there has to be a, a great deal of bravery attached to a person that settles comfortably in Pennsylvania or Maryland and then decide that they're going to move west. I've often said to myself, if I had been one of those settlers, I would have been an East Coaster forever because I don't think I would have taken the adventure to come across country. I think I would have just settled and that's where I would have been. All the unknowns. Yeah, all, all the of the unknowns. unknowns. Yes. And, and 
And I could say, as an East Coaster, I yearned to be in the West as soon as I got a taste of it because there was this promise of a little more relaxation. And I was speaking to a client the other day who said she never took a nap when she lived on the East Coast. That Now she can actually <laughs> take a nap because it's a little more quiet. Well, when do we get back in just a moment? Um, I can't wait for us to get in and talk about this concept that is sitting in the back of my mind about opposing views how in order to grow, you have to come to terms with that and understand what that means and how it leads us in our current mission of healing the divide. We'll be right back. Let the women of Boom Goddess Radio light up your special star quality so your ideal clients can find and follow you. Our interviews are revealing and enlightening. We can help you put the wow in how you connect with people who need what you have to offer. Schedule a Boom Goddess radio interview to shine the light on you and what you do. We help you reveal your uniqueness and allow your special style to invite the perfect clients to check you out. Allow the women of Boom Goddess Radio to help tell your story and light up the star you are. Our interviews reveal your value and enlighten potential clients about your services. Okay, and so we're back with a wonderful guest, Lisa Schnebly Heidinger author, journalist, and a woman of many, many talents. Um, We're talking to her not only about her grandmother, Sedona Schnebly, but about the worldview perspective, about uh, her journalistic work, and how she is known as a go-to person uh, by other folks who may have a specifically uh, straight perspective on a subject, but yet she's the one who is able to help them bridge that vision and that gap. I guess it's about holding polarities, Lisa. Wow. To be able to hold one end and the other, and yet come across in a really, hate to use the word, but fair and balanced way. I think those are great words. That's what that's what communication is always supposed to be. That is the gold standard for communication. How did you arrive at that perspective and what were your learning lessons in the last years about how you've come to be that person? What a marvelous question. Uh which comes first, the career or the person? I don't know the exact answer. That I know that my mother was a, a counselor, um, a therapist, and my father was always in communications, radio, television, whatever. And maybe those two roles kind of dovetailed in a, a hybridization of wanting to share stories, a, a, a drive, a, an almost pathological need to share stories. And informed with, infused with an awareness that we don't often see someone's whole story, but if we're willing to try, to try to get at what is unknown to us, we will never regret that effort, ever. 
We talk and, so much about curiosity, and we talk so much about courage. And the courage to be curious sounds like what you're talking about, that that was, those were values that were held in your family. Beautifully put, yes. C- curiosity and courage. Yeah. So please do so do go on. So how did the years inform your or continue to inform your thinking along that holding polarity ability? I guess um the Navajo call it hosho balance. Um and and my father said years ago, the balance of nature does not mean stasis. It is floods, fires, volcanoes, droughts. It is it is an extreme imbalance. And so it almost seems like you have to have those polarities to get somewhere other than just neutral. And we don't want neutral. We want the balance of nature. We want the big stuff achieving a yin-yang, a hoso, a, a beauty way in the, in the Diné culture, the Navajo culture. So I guess that's just, and, and to tell you the truth, I've never given this any thought until I'm sitting in this room with y'all, that, <laughs> that that's... That's when it's beautiful. That's when it's rich. Two people who agree is not balance. That's just neutrality. Balance is when you're coming from very, very disparate places and you find the commonality. I I talk to friends and say, regardless, almost everybody I know at the end of the day is a social liberal and a fiscal conservative. And we can define ourselves all over the map. But if I say, okay, do we agree that it would be nice if everybody who were given some kind of assistance had the opportunity to contribute for it? Yes. Do we agree that most of our most personally held beliefs are our own business? Yes. Do we agree? And we do. And yet we can go hammer and tongs on Facebook as if we are totally opposed in every way. And that's, I think, the challenge that faces us now is how do we get out of those what they call silos into seeing what we agree on. Now I'm seeing you, Lisa, framed by your mother and your father, the therapist and the communicator. What a beautiful synthesis you turn out to be. So here's a question that might require some thought. Okay. So if you have the, um, having the benefit of those two resources, what kinds of things would you do if you were queen of the world? What kinds of things would you do? What kind of activities would you endorse? What kind of contexts would you help create? Um, places for exchange? What would you do if you I, had your way? I would send them all to you. Well, then you must be present while you send them to because, us. Because people need a safe place in order to feel encouraged to express, I believe so strongly that great love heals. And when we are accepted, that's when the best of us comes out. And I was a serial dater my entire single life, and does literally dozens and dozens of men. And the thing that makes my husband so incredible is when I was pregnant and called him to say, mm, I'm pregnant, we're not ready, um, I'll find a job. He said, you have a job. You're a writer. Come home. I love you. It'll work out. Had I been with anybody but Tom, I'm afraid I would have lived his life. I'm afraid I would have devoted all my energy to being 
what he wanted to helping him be what he wanted. And when people are encouraged to be what they want, that's when the magic happens. So in answer to the larger question, how do you, as queen of the world, give people the great love that will heal them and let them begin to think about what it is, what their puzzle pieces are, what do they have to contribute? What do they want to contribute? And then how do they do that? You're very fortunate because a lot of women, a lot of women can't tell a story of love like that. That is, and I am grateful every morning and night, hands and knees grateful. I, I never earned it, but I sure do appreciate it. And, and it leads us to something really important, that it's not just about the receiving of love, but about the giving of love. And so if we were queens of the world, how is it that we could free ourselves to love? And I, I love that. Remember the old, I think it was very, I don't know which, First Nations, that if you took their photograph, you took part of their soul? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. One of the things I've decided, not in a bad way, is that when you get to write about someone, when you interview them and, and are, are let into their lives, it, you get a bit of their soul. And what you get to do then is show them who you see, because none of us sees ourselves the way other people do. That old Jahari window from Psych 101. And sometimes people don't know how they are, are seen and where the beauty is. And when we talk in these terms, I uh, remember someone saying that they see a genius in everyone they meet. Wow. And I truly feel that way myself. And you speak to that so well, uh, Lisa, in that you look at a person and, um, or we look at people and the, we see the potential, the brilliance, the genius in them. And when we were speaking to you on the phone before this call, we saw the genius in you. And that is so inspiring to us and so personally gratifying to know that we can recognize that in other people. One of my beliefs is that we are all a tripod in, of nature, nurture, and choice. And so we could we could all hit 30% at anything, even if we began at zero. Um, but T.C. Uh, Schneebly had the never met a stranger gene. And I think that that starting there is a good place to start because nobody's boring. Everybody's interesting. Everybody's got a story. Sometimes you have to dig, but everybody's got a story. When I speak to groups about Sedona Schneebly and I say that after a lifetime of plumbing every source I could get to, I had to accept that had there been a journal, it was burned and it was all letters. It was all written to other people. And so I had, I had to fill in 10,000 little bits of information I didn't have to sew the 10,000 bits I did have together. And that Charlotte Hall, our first historian in Arizona, woman, um, understood that history is occurring now. My dad's phrase, journalism is, hist is history on the fly. And that, yes, it's 100, 200, 300 years ago, and it's now, and it's a continuum. And if everybody in my audience would just go home, and when, it, when I spoke to schools, I could say, this is an assignment while well, you're adults, and write one handwritten Still an page. assignment. 
of, <laughs> yes. of your day, of your life. One page, just one page, so that somebody, either a relative or not, who comes, up, comes around later, has a, a moment, a photograph, a, a written photograph of you, your life, what you think is worth putting on one page, and it informs the larger picture. And I think our, I was shy growing up, and interviewing people accustoms you to the realization that they don't mind being asked questions, that they like being asked questions, and that they can share stuff. And that when I used to talk to schools, I would say to the kids, okay, you all like hot Cheetos, <laughs> you all watch the same shows, you all do this, but each one of you has a completely unique story. Go home and have your parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, grandmas say, tell me something I don't know about my family. And if I were back here tomorrow, no two of those would be alike. Some, I was speaking yesterday to a gentleman down at the Garden of Gethsemane who was a Pima County Parks and Rec worker who had just been to his grandmother's place in Douglas and come across pictures. And his father said, oh, that's when your grandpa was running guns to Pancho Villa. <laughs> What don't we think to ask? My father one time said, yeah, I had a drink on a yacht with the actor who played Zorro. <laughs> and I went home terrified. I thought, I don't, I don't, who have you had a drink on a yacht with? You know, how do we ask? How do we trust we're going to find those important questions in time? Well, trust is the word. We trust. What kind of feedback do you get from children when you tell them to go home and, and ha take, take the assignment that you've given them and, and write something down? What kind of response do you well, get from Well, unfortunately, them? I never got to go back the next day. I would okay. always speak to the whole school for one day. But I, I got the look that said, we're not going to have anything. Other families have stuff, and yeah. I won't. And I thought, yeah. you'll see, you'll kiddo, see. you'll see. And that's why it would be so wonderful to get together a small group, just 10 people maybe, not much more, and begin that process and just choose very carefully. People can elect themselves to such a little meeting. And I think from there, we can generate even more teachers who can take that experience, go back to their friends and family, and do that and kind of spread that effect. Okay, well then here's an assignment for listeners. When I was first a We love this, we love this. Okay, cub reporter in the Green Valley, I, there was an artist in residence in Tubac, and she was teaching children how they're all poets. And they were describing somebody in an exercise. And the last line was, tell us something we would never know unless you told us. So it's kind of like that exercise at a meet and greet icebreaker. And I have been told a, a gentleman did time in federal prison for avoiding the draft. Um, a man fell out of his head from a, fell on his head out of a second story window. I can write cursive backwards, which I thought we could all do till I found out we couldn't. So everybody, tell me something I wouldn't know about you by looking. Okay, so that's an assignment to you, dear hearts. You have to get on our Facebook page, Boom Goddess Set Radio. Contact us on our website, boomgoddessradio.com, and you let us know. Write down that one thing that you, we would not know about you unless our dear guest, Lisa, asked you uh, right now. Do that right now. <laughs> and so we have the unifying of uniqueness because we are uniqueness hounds. We like to seek out what's special in every person that crosses our path. We now, see it. Have yeah. the three of you done this? Uh, no, not yet. No, we haven't. But we're going to do it for sure. I think we did it once at a luncheon meeting. 
something like that. Yes. 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 But we can do it again. Right. Because there's lots of stuff. Well, we're coming to the end of our um, interview process in just a moment or two. But before we conclude, we want to ask Lisa where she can be found, uh, where her books are available. So if you could do that for us, that would be fantastic. Absolutely. But you had a thought first. I did have a thought. And that was, you know, when you you become a senior citizen... it, it comes and then it goes. My question, my question was, when I met Dr. Andrea, she was encouraging everybody to, to have a journal and to write in it every day. I'm the only one of the three of us that has journals stacked up and they're all empty. Because I've not, I have not <laughs> it done that. It safe to you. No, and I and I don't. I, I maybe I need to come and lie on the couch and find out why it doesn't feel safe. <laughs> and um, but and I keep telling both of my partners that I'm going to start doing it, and I and I can't seem to put a pen to it yet. But I'm going to. Uh, well, you know, I keep saying I'm going to, but I need to know what what what's keeping and, me. And on that, the neural channels are not carved. My sister-in-law says you can only do ten minutes of something that scares you. No more, just ten minutes. I floss every day because I couldn't floss every day, so I flossed every other day. What if you did 10 minutes one day a week? That's all. I think it must be looming, overwhelming, too foreign, too scary, too much of a commitment. 10 minutes once a week? Okay. I'll try that. My suggestion. All right. And I have have a suggestion, too. And one of them, one of the suggestions is to simply write what you're aware of. So take five minutes and write, I am aware that the room is red and black. I am aware that I'm sitting with three women, other women. I am aware of like 10 things. That's all. That's the journal. I have lots entry. of wonderful things to write about, but I think that the one, the one uh, barrier for me is, you know, 20 years from now when my granddaughters pick this up, how much do I you put in the journal? I mm-hmm. so but I guess you can really that. put everything in the journal. And you can even put a do not open until you're 35 year. years old. Yeah. My girlfriend's father was the nighttime driver for Al Capone in Chicago, and she never, she regrets to this day never having even put him on tape. Can you imagine the story? So everybody, as you say, everybody's got remarkable stories. Yes. So um, to go back, I'm at uh, ArizonaWriter.com. Somebody said writer, and I said no. (laughs) Arizona, (laughs) W-R-I-T-E-R.com. And I think all my books are on Amazon. I like to go to Alibris for out-of-print books, and some of them are now. Uh, And there's a contact us on my website, too. So if anybody has any questions or wants to say something... We love hearing from people. We do. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? Yes. There is a clear sign that someone's listening in, that they have an interest, whom we've touched, a person, a body, a soul that we've touched. So followers, leave your own comments on however it is you listen to us, whether it's SoundCloud or whether it's our Facebook page or like Bibi said, our own web page. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Lisa. It was a treat. Uh, you I've made our day this, this morning. Thank you so much. We may need to have you back. For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.